Welcome to Swisspreneur, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. My name is Sylvan and I will be your host. Today we're here in Silicon Valley and we'll meet with Alex Fries. Alex is a serial entrepreneur and co-founded two companies that were sold successfully. Nowadays, he's active as an early stage investor with his own fund. He already invested in more than 50 firms. Some of them are AngelList or Facebook. We will talk about his entrepreneurial career, but of course also what he's actually looking for in startup companies as an investor. I'm sure that there are some learnings that you can apply to your business. As always, there's also additional content available on our social media channels. So make sure that you check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SBB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at sbbstartup.com. Alex, very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's great to have you here today. We're going to talk about your personal story, your entrepreneurial career, as well as your career as an investor. And I would like to start with your entrepreneurial career. Mm-hmm. In 2000, after studying in the US, you started your company, Svox HE, in Switzerland, right. uh, speech software. And I would like to, to, to learn why did you start a company in Switzerland after studying in the US? Why not go into the US market right away? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Uh, but uh, I wanted to move back to Switzerland and, uh, and, and see if I could help with the ecosystem there. I already had some experience in the, in the entrepreneurial world. And um, I didn't create the idea of Svox, was the, uh, the PhD engineer out of the ETH Zurich. So, um, and uh, so we were five of us which started the company. And, uh, you know, anything that comes out of the ETH Zurich is pretty, pretty amazing, right? Or EPFL and things like that. So, uh, we thought it was a winner. Uh, it, it took a long time, but uh, Switzerland at the time, you know, was just starting to push innovation out. There were no VC funds almost, like maybe two of them, and they both rejected us. So um, thank God for the wealthy individuals and angels that funded us. And, and brain to ventures uh, just started at the same time. So Florian and Jan, you know, we were the first company to promote in the market. So it was a good, it was a good uh, time to start something new there. Good timing for Switzerland. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you mentioned fundraising. Mm-hmm. That's a, a pretty you know, delicate topic in Switzerland. I think it's okay and not too difficult to raise a, a fund uh, for, for seed stages, mm-hmm. early stage, but the, the harder it gets, uh, the longer you, you live basically as a startup. So for additional financing, once you want to go to a Series A or something like that, yeah. that gets really tricky in Switzerland from my experience. How did you experience that back in the days? Well, back in the days, uh, again, uh, we, we barely found any money. So it was angels uh, that kept us alive, some uh, POCs. And then uh, we were lucky enough that Siemens in Germany just had launched this new uh, accelerator or it's called Mobile Accelerator Fund. And uh, they invested some money in us, but not much, right? So, you know, less than a million. And 
you cannot get too far with that, especially when you're selling speech software, something new, you know, navigation systems in cars were just coming, smartphones were just coming up as well. So, so uh, what we did is uh, I came to the U.S. with Svox and I opened the U.S. market. Mm -hmm. And then we found the capital here at the end of the day. Okay, so that was sort of your, your financing for, for growth. Yeah, so we had to look for the money, the capital. We had already clients in the US mm -hmm. and, and where else do you go for venture capital, right? In those days, you had to come here. So um, I came to uh, California or back to California, I guess. So that was rather a money decision to, to raise money instead of an operational decision? Both, we were both, yeah. It came with a ticket from one of us, a Swiss angel group that says, well, if you, if you do the trip to the US, uh, because you already have clients there, you know, Detroit was a big client of us, all the car guys. Uh, but if you go to California, we'll give you enough money to, to survive. And then KTE in those days also gave us cash. They just started the, the program of, of financing companies in Swissnext. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was the first startup to take advantage of that program. So oh. Swox was the first startup in Swissnext to be uh, promoted by KTE. So they gave us some cash. Uh, so we took, we took the advantage. So a pioneer in several roles. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, yeah, that's true, that's true. Um, but the most ironic part is we found money here, right? And it was a Swiss fund looking for startups here. So you basically had to come to the US to be financed by a Swiss and fund. That still applies today. Every time we get delegations from CEOs, we get many of them, right? Mm -hmm. I always get invited to talk to them. Like tomorrow, there's a big group coming here as well. Cool. You know, I present my startups to them and half of them are Swiss and they love them. Oh, you know, Swiss in Silicon Valley, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's sad. If I introduce them in, in, in Switzerland, they would go, uh, Swiss startup here, no, you have no chance. So, so it still kind of applies that if you see it on the other side, the, the grass is greener, huh? Do you think that's only the case because of sort of also the brand of Silicon Valley or are there other reasons why the same investment does not seem to be as appealing back in Switzerland? Yeah, the, the perception is that uh, the entrepreneur came all the way here, you know, has been able to sustain himself here at the company. So the ambition level is higher. Uh, the ecosystem is better, so they have a better chance. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but it's still sad because it's the same company on both sides. You spoke about U.S. clients that you had even before coming here to the U.S. Mm -hmm. How did you actually get them from Switzerland as a Swiss company? That's also uh, quite tricky to do, tricky, I can imagine. Yeah. And uh, I was chief marketing officer and strategy officer. We had a chief sales guy as well, a Swiss guy, but he was more you know, reserved, I would say. Mm -hmm. And since I just had come back from Silicon Valley, I had still this Americanized selling bug. And I just started calling, which is in those days unusual in Switzerland, just to call, call uh, companies. <laughs> and I had a network here, so I went through my network and uh, we just call and email whatever we could mm -hmm. and get into these accounts. So. Cool. And European technology or Swiss is the best in the world compared to what you see here. So technolo technologically, we were very easy to, uh, or it was easy to get in, in the door. Mm -hmm. uh, so what's, what's the selling aspect of things? All about the sales game. Yeah, that's right. Then according to your LinkedIn, you left Svox in 2003. Is that correct? 
Uh, yeah, a little bit later, okay. uh, maybe five, because uh, I came over here, I set up the operations, okay. we fundraised, and then um, and then I left the company. I stayed, you know, as part of the co-founding team, uh, but I, I started another company. Exactly, but you basically left before the exit happened, right? Yes, correct, correct. What were the reasons? Did you find a better possibility to make something, to build something great somewhere else? Or what was the reason that you left? Yeah, it was partially was the possibility to restart, start a new company, which was placed by at the time. Um, and uh, the other reason was they wanted somebody in Detroit where all our clients were. Mm-hmm. And there's no way I was going to move to Detroit. So, <laughs> you know, so they, they actually set up a team there. Okay. And I left the company. Then. Okay, fair point. And then you mentioned you, you started PlaySpan. Yes. And that was a very interesting company that you scaled up rapidly. And Three then and a half years, yeah. Yeah, and then sold uh, with a huge success. Yes. How did that happen? I mean, that's a super fast move. Well, that's Silicon Valley compared to Swox, the Swiss way, and PlaySpan, the American way, right? So you have PlaySpan three and a half years to exit, Swox 10 years. PlaySpan raised about, I don't know, like 30, 17 million or more. Swox, we raised less than 10, uh, and so on and so on. So, and then valuation-wise, you know, one is huge exit by Visa, and the other one by Nuance. Both very good, actually, for Swiss standards. I mean, a hundred million dollar exit yeah. for a Swiss standard, that's yeah, pretty cool. It was 127 in dollars, okay. um, and 90-something in euros, and then, and then, uh, Placement was 290 publicly, but with earnouts was 310. So, wow. so 310 million. So it was very good, both of them. Uh, but both acquired by US-based companies, which is a, all my startups. I tell you're gonna have somebody here because I need exits, and if you, if they don't know you exist, then nobody's gonna buy you. Or I mean, you could try to make it to IPO, which is very unlikely. But that's right. You spoke about the different amount of funds that you raised for the Swiss and the American-based company, sort of. In, in what way has this either slowed down your operations and your, your growth? And in the U.S. way, in, in what way has that actually boosted your growth and your scale? Uh, growth of what? Of the fund? The, the, the funding, in what way has that sort of enabled your growth of the company, like scaling up sales, oh. scaling up revenue? and growing to a certain amount that you could actually sell the companies. Yeah, so, so I don't know if you know, the model that we use today in Alpana 1 and 2, even in Ecosystem Ventures, which is my personal fund, the model is what we did with Svox, is we invest in European technologies, which we think are the best in the world, best engineers, best ideas, but horrible sales, horrible marketing, no venture money, low valuations and no exits, okay? So if I put money in a Swiss company, I need exits, I need high valuations, and I need someone to kick ass, right? So what we do now, we do this Israeli model, basically. We have them create a bridge to the US, like what we did with Swox. Mm -hmm. You keep everybody back home, but here we want you to hire the chief sales and marketing officer. We want you to fundraise above 10 million, because in Europe you can almost forget it, and we need the exits. And the exits only happen when someone knows you exist, and all the scouts are here. I don't care if you said potato chips 
or nuclear bombs. Every scout from CIA to Russian KGB or whatever they're called, they're all here looking for technologies and the latest. So you got to be here, you got to make noise. And uh, so to that respect, when we bring companies here, we have them, uh, we mix everything. We mix the board level, we mix management, and we mix the investors mix. So we have Americans and Swiss or Europeans, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's a great mixture because one is conservative, one is aggressive, so they meet in the middle and then uh, So that has accelerated uh, our time to market, time to exit mm -hmm. of the companies that came over here. And it's, it's a proven model. I mean, it really works very well. And I, I encourage everybody to do that. Was that also the reason why you started PlaySpan here in the U.S. and not in Switzerland anymore? No, that, I was just here already. Okay. And uh, I met, you know, Carl, the co-founder. And, uh, and uh, you know, we just, every Saturday, Sunday, we started in Starbucks. And mm -hmm. we start planning the company and we start growing in Starbucks. And, and then, you know, we, we fundraised and it took off from there. But I just happened to be here. And if you're here more than a week... You're going to get hit by somebody. Hey, you want to start a company with me? You want to join? You want to co-invest? Everybody's an angel here or entrepreneur or something. So sure. uh, it's a matter of picking the right, the winners. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And then how do you actually scale up PlaySpan to sell it to, to Visa? I mean, in, in such a short amount of time to create that success story, yeah. that's it's, a lot of It's time work. to market, which I tell the European entrepreneurs. You know, in Europe, they take their sweet time. They have a fantastic idea, but you know, it's, oh, it's Christmas, so everybody's sleeping, so might as well wait. And then comes uh, February's, you know, Sportwoche, whatever, you know, everybody's, uh, pink, all the stuff. Here, nobody stops. Asia, nobody stops. It actually goes 2,000%. And um, if, if, if you have something good, you gotta give full force. Full force because you can go to CES and you will see exactly what you're developing today times a thousand, right? The Israeli pavilion, the French pavilion, the German, they all have the same, same stories. So if you don't make noise, you don't hurry up, you're going to lose. So there's always local exits, right? But uh, if you want to make it an ambition worldwide, a global company, uh, you have to rush. And yeah, you and have we to push and we push hard. You know? yeah. And then the, the initial contact, how, how did that happen? Did you approach Visa? Did they approach you? Were you scouted by them or? No, it was uh, kind of a funny story. Uh, we were fundraising our B round and we hired uh, uh, an investment bank. Mm -hmm. I was with the thought, you know, if someone offers the right price, you know, we're willing to exit. Sure. So Deutsche Bank at the time was that. So we, we prepared the documents to fundraise a B round of 20 million or 30 million. And uh, we said, Deutsche Bank, you go to your strategics, ask them if they want to invest. Of course, ask him also that for the right price we would sell. And uh, so MasterCard gave us a term sheet to buy us. Somehow it leaked to Visa. And they came back a week later with double the price. And then we say yes. Cool. But uh, yeah, no one knows how it leaked, right? Sure. <laughs>
but that's how it happened. So. Was the exit planned for you from day one? Was that clear that you want to to go for an exit? No, I mean actually we we we, we start companies to grow them and make them very successful. It was early on in the uh, virtual asset world, digital assets, right? Um, in, in Asia, it was just taking off. You know, how do you buy a digital asset in a game? A big sword, you know, like, but instantaneously for 10 cents while you're playing the game, online game, that didn't exist. You know, you had to drop it, and I got picked it up and so on. And how do you pay 10 cents? It's very hard. So we came up with all of that solution. But it, it, we, we realized after a year and a half that it's going to take much more money. But we had every gaming company in this world under agreement, which is great. Uh, we just had to implement the platform and so on. But okay. um, yeah, so we thought you know, with, with a bigger player, maybe we can accelerate everything. Sure. And in the same year, you also sold Smokes? Mm -hmm. Same year, yeah. So that's a pretty crazy year? Yeah, double, double whoopee. How did that happen? How strongly involved were you in, in that sale? In the... In the Svox sale to Niels? Oh, not much. Uh, not much. I mean, I brought some of the board members in Svox, which they were still there. So, you know, and I had a great relationship with the management team. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but, but another funny story. We, we wanted to sell Svox way before the acquisition. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking, well... If we get 30 million or 40, you know, it's going to be one top sale of, in Switzerland or something like that. I mean, that's how naive we were in Europe. And, and uh, you know, then came this offer of 100, well, 90 million euros. And we said, wow, that's way above our dreams, right? Absolutely. And, but, but just to show again, US, Europe, we had a competitor in Massachusetts, exactly the same size, revenue, employees, doing text-to-speech and also speech recognition. They got acquired uh, this, almost a year before for 300 million, just because they're in the US. So, so Nuance got a good deal from us, you know? Absolutely. So they cut it in half, basically. Sure. But, but that's why when I invest now in European companies, I invest in Europe at very low valuations mm -hmm. because they don't sell themselves too well. I bring him over here that five times X immediately. So sounds like a good business model. Sounds like a good business model. Yeah. But it's not as easy. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. How much money did you personally make from both company sales? If you are open to share? No, I'm not going to give you the numbers, sure. but, but, but I mean, Swox, we were five founders. Okay. So if you have a hundred percent, cut it in five, and then you take another 30% away for the investors and then cut that in five, what's left. Uh, so more or less like that. And PlaySpan, we have more investors. And, uh, you know, they, had a, they, they own over 50% already. So, so our stake was much smaller than anticipated. And, and just a warning to some entrepreneurs, if they ever uh, listen to this speech. You know, I know companies where they got acquired for 100 million or 200 million. And the entrepreneur didn't get a penny because of the liquidity preferences. Yeah. So it's, that's a screw-up world, mm -hmm. and you have to watch out. So when I say I sold Swox for $127 million, I did not make $100 million, not even 50 not even 20 You know, it's like you have other co-founders, you have investors, you have angels, you know, tax, whatever. Sure. 
Investment bankers take a cut. So, what would you suggest founders pay especially attention to in order to avoid such a situation? Yeah, especially uh, you no. Know, keep the cap table simple. Don't have a thousand people on it, or or a hundred, or fifty even. What would be a good number for early good stage? Number is less than twenty, I would say, with angels, right? And then uh, always check the liquidity preferences because that can really screw you over. What would be a, a good solution there? Just one X, you know, just basically. Well, even one X is tough, right? You know what that means? That means all investors get their money first, what they put down. So I gave you 10 million, I get 10 million first. He gets his 5 million, he gets his 2 million. You, you're almost at 100 suddenly. Then everybody gets the, the piece of the cake. Exactly. Shit, there's not much left. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough one. And then you started becoming an investor after your successful exit. Yeah. What led you to this transition? Because you run two successful companies or started two successful companies. Mm -hmm. And that sort of is a transition in your role from yeah. being a founder to being an investor. Yeah, I, I always wanted to help uh, European entrepreneurs, especially when they came here. And, and being an angel was a tough thing because you can only help one or two with small tickets. And then I said, well, I'm going to switch sides to the investor side. And I actually wanted to work in a fund here, which was impossible to find a job. I mean, it's very hard to get into a fund. You're going to be from Stanford or Harvard or IMD or something extraordinary. And then you, you start at the bottom and then you make your, your way up. Uh, so I started my own, basically, called Ecosystem Ventures. I put my own money. I put a, you know, a couple of million there, started investing uh, in startups, helping them. Uh, so I did 43 investments with that, all across the board, from food to high tech, right? Anything, because I have no one to stop me, basically. Uh, so, and that, when, that was very successful, that fund. I still have it. There's still some active companies. I had a lot of exits. But with that track record, I, was, I thought I was able to go to Switzerland and fundraise, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Alpana 1 and 2 now. Uh, it just turned out to be very hard, very wow. difficult. It's just it's not in the culture of these asset managers or banks. Now it's a trend. Now you go to Switzerland, everybody's startup expert and wants to put money in startups and start companies, right? Everybody. I, I, I know so many people that are fundraising, which is basically my competition now. And I say, but what's your experience? Have you ever done a high-tech startup? I mean, opening a PR of a company is not a really, to me, a startup. I mean, you start from nothing, but, you know, high-tech, fundraising, you know, from zero, like what you guys did, you know? And you went to an exit or you shut down. I don't care. But you went through the cycle. And a lot of these people fundraising now don't have that experience. They're just former money managers, right? Yeah. Unfortunately. So, uh, But I tried everything. I tried to go to Burn and do a, a private public fund. We, we matched the money. No interest. I went to regional. I went to the Rheintal, you know, where I'm from. And I said... Come on, we gotta do something for Graubünden and St. Gallen. St. Gallen is okay, but Liechtenstein and all this. Uh, politicians have no interest, you know. Um, and then I went, if, you, if you're under 100 million, you cannot go to BlackRock or UBS because you're too small. Mm 
I like to put 100 million tickets uh, or partners groups. So you're stuck with the family offices, private banks, individuals. Family offices think they're the masters in startup investing, so they're all going direct. You still find one or two that are, are giving us money now and uh, some private banks and that's it. Do you think that this is a, is a cultural thing or a, a very risk-averse thing that you see in Switzerland? Yeah, it's a cultural thing. It's, it's, they, don't, they don't understand the game. It's too much risk. Uh, and uh, yeah, they, they think a Google happens once every 100 million years, you know. And then you show them the whole list of, of um, unicorns. There's plenty of them, you know. And I tell them, dude, I mean, this happens all every year. Just not in Switzerland. No, not yet. You know, only might maze. Yeah, and that's well, that's another topic. You know? yes. How did that happen? But if it happened <laughs> and how it happened, but there's a few now that are getting to the hundred million dollar valuation. Uh, you know, and it will take a while to get higher. But it's just so tough. I think one thing is they want to go direct, which is really not the right thing to do, and. And then the other half is too scared. I mean, we have a few cowboys now in Switzerland. They gave us one or two million to test the waters, which is great, right? They could have given us 100 or 90, but they're too scared. So one or two, so we have to wait this fund to see how it performs. Mm -hmm. if, if we are able to be successful, I think they're going to give us much more money the next time. Because the money is there in Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. It's just not available. Yeah, there's just not enough track record, I think. So Only individuals. You, know, you yeah. made money with one, I made money with one. So, But as a fund, there's not much uh, track record, right? Sure. And, but, and that has to improve. Do you think that this will actually improve? Or do you see this more also as a risk for Switzerland as a whole country? If we don't catch up there, yeah. we might run into problems in the future. Yeah, I mean, all of Europe, right? Yeah. Switzerland has, it's more secure because, you know, we are, we are, we are rock stars. But... Uh, but all of Europe is in danger. You know, Asia, six to 10 years ago, there was nothing there in funding or startups. I used to invest in India quite heavily. I lost all my money there, but, but now it's better. But Asia already overtook Europe in number of deals, number of funds, volume in capital. And the US is getting bigger. Asia is getting actually bigger than the US. So, and Europe is getting bigger but stable or not growing like this in, yeah. in, in this ecosystem. So there's a big danger, but we have the brains, we have the innovation, and I don't know who to explain that we need to put more money into this or you know, we'll be uh, in the hotel business in 10 years or 50 years. How do you see this sort of game play out between the US and China especially? You know, China has a government behind. That's a problem. You can't win. China is going, we want to be two, we want one company in each space of this world to be the biggest. And we will fund them and help them. Absolutely. And Europeans are too naive. They think that the whole world is perfect. And then comes the Americans who are all about competition and, you know, let's compete, let's be the best one. But try to do a fair, acquire companies, grow, you know, so... Um, and Europe is trying to do, do their part, right, with new funds, EU is giving money out. Switzerland has this initiative with 500 million from Schneider Amman, which is great. 
so it's, I think it, it will, um, and you're seeing more exits from Europe. Uh, tickets are getting bigger, larger in Europe. That's great. I mean, I, I get all the news and I mean, 15 million, 20 million here. But if you read the 2018 report, global VC report, uh, Europe was flat, right? In number of deals. Yes. More money, but in fewer deals, which is no good. So we need a base. We need, really need to go all Etihad spin-offs, all EPFL spin-offs, all Power Shader, you name it, you know? Uh, we need to build a base and then get some more unicorns. In, in that regard, a collaboration between Europe and the US, basically as you practice it with your model, Swiss startups coming to the US, that could be a very successful model to yeah. be, I think, number one together, if you can call it that way. Do yeah, you think take advantage of, of, well, take advantage of the US, can, you can say. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the sad part is that every corporate fund is here. They're not in Switzerland, right? Uh, ABB has a fund here, or, or a scout here, so I don't know where the fund is. A scout here, a Siemens, Novartis, they're all walking around here. Tata, you know, Samsung. And look at this guy, the most famous VC. All his funds here are Asia-based or Asia-focused. Mm -hmm. You know, because that's where the growth is, where the hunger is. Entrepreneurs, they are so hungry to succeed. You know, they don't go on vacation and, and take, you know, whatever. So for, for starting entrepreneurs, where would you suggest them to go? Still to Silicon Valley or also check out Asia, for example? Yeah, Asia's a tough one. It's like Europe, very diverse, you know. But I like this model. We have the brains, you know, you don't want to drain Europe. So keep him there uh, and mix it with other cultures that bring strength. Like Americans are great salespeople and great marketeers. I mean, that's where we buy the shitty products. I mean, you know, I mean, come on. We have much better products than they do. Mm -hmm. But you get a mix of mentality. So, and not just at the management level, also at the, at the board level, because boards, you know, push also the management and at the investor level. Mm -hmm. You got to mix it up. And that's what we're trying to do. You spoke about the hunger uh, of the entrepreneurs. You're looking for hungry entrepreneurs. How do you evaluate the hunger? What spirit are you looking for? What, what should they be doing or yeah. bringing to the table? You feel it when you talk to them. You feel it how much they bug you once they meet me. A uh, classical example is I meet a, um, a European entrepreneur here. You know, I love the idea. And, and I put it on my desk on possible investment. Yeah. They go back home, right? You don't hear from them for about... <laughs> a month because they didn't want to bother me okay i tell them you know what happened between now the day i met you and the day you recontacted me i see 10 business plans a day and let's say i like one every two days so they accumulate sure. and they, they start being better and the guys the nine others are mostly as you can see around indians which are 50 percent of all startups are indian entrepreneurs Americanized or not, but Indians or Asians or Chinese, Taiwanese, Koreans. And these guys call me every single day. Do you get my numbers? What do you think about the number? Can we sit down again? Can, you know? Uh, so you are still at the bottom of the line. And only, I only have this much money and I start putting money in others. By the time I get to you, it's empty. So 
So you would really encourage them to, uh, to bother you more often? To show hunger, yeah, hunger. You know, others do, uh, we just had a case where this morning we say, forget it, because it's a Swiss entrepreneur that said, I don't like to travel, I have kids, uh, I need to stay home. Well, well sorry, man. It's, it's a valid reason, but don't, don't start a company if you're going to do that, you know? Absolutely. So, not, not enough hungry. Your model, bringing Swiss entrepreneurs here with the best technology, as you, as you said and described it from the ETH, for example, yeah. and then mixing them with sales, salespeople or marketing people, which the U.S. Is a great, has a great talent pool for. What other things can the two ecosystems sort of learn from each other besides these two major points? Well, you, you can learn everything here, by, basically. But um, we, first of all, we don't move people, right? The CEO, if he wants, he can come here. But he can also stay back home. Uh, but what you learn here is the speed to execution. That's one thing you learn. Uh, and when the entrepreneurs come here, they realize it. Right, uh, I, I have competition here. Imagine me. I cannot sit on my butt and wait uh, because I'm a VC and arrogant and I have the money. De good deals are gone. Like, if you even get to the best deals, they're gone immediately, right? Sure. That's why you need to know guys like this yeah. who say, Alex, I have a small ticket for you. You want to participate or something, you know? Yeah. Nice. But I have competition, so I, we always have to be very um, quick and just feel that urgency, you know. Oh, I have a great idea. I better accelerate because there's competition in Asia, here, everywhere. So, uh, so but, but it's not that you learn much more. It's just everything is here. Money, scouts, it's one market, so it makes it also attractive. Uh, unlike Europe, where it's all broken in pieces, but uh, no, Europe will get there eventually. It's just we're a little bit too slow right now. Mm -hmm. Is there something that U.S.-based entrepreneurs can learn from Switzerland, for example? Oh yes, uh, yes, and, and and that's another beauty about investing in in Europeans. They have a, um, they're more careful, you know, with money. It could be also cultural, but, you know, they always look at, at a profit. When can I make profit? Here it's all about growth yeah. and spending the money, right? And the Europeans are usually a little bit older, the entrepreneurs, so they're more, uh, more savvy. And they really worry about every penny. And they don't go wild like here. Like, but here we also throw them much more money. Sure. So they have to, but... Uh, I think Europeans should be more, um, uh, Americans could be more careful with uh, products, quality, right? Like, don't code and put a beta stamp and launch. Make sure it works, you know, first. Yeah. We are the opposite. We code to die and we never launch. So that mix again is perfect. Absolutely. But the Americans could be more neat, prepare things better, you know, be, when we do due diligence, it's horrible here. Right? They have to look for emails and documents and call the bank. And a European has everything in a, in a data room, all nicely prepared, which cuts the time of investment. So. But that kind of small things is uh, we appreciate as investors. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. The age that you also just mentioned, European entrepreneurs tend to be a bit older mm -hmm. uh, than their peers here in, in Silicon Valley. Is age also something that you're looking for when you make investments? Yes, yeah, a yes. preference. I, I learned the hard way. Okay. 
So I, I had two investments with teams under 30 years old. Thank God I, I, Andreessen was also part of one, so I'm not the only idiot. But two the business uh, founders were under 30. Engineer, I don't care because it's black and white, but the business team. And you know what happens when you give a 25, 27-year-old 5 million? They know how to spend them very quickly. And they only hire other under 30 because otherwise it doesn't look cool in the company. Right. So, but I have two cases where, you know, they had retreats in Lake Tahoe and parties and jacuzzi and everybody had to be cool. And, and uh, one day we went there and we said, well, oh, let's talk about your cash planning in the future. Right. And the guy looked at me like, cash planning? What is that? You know, things are good. Give me more money. We'll still grow. And then they start collapsing. And uh, they hired too many people. Too much coolness, uh, you know, and, and then your burn rate starts accumulating mm -hmm. and sales never showed up. So then you start downsizing and, and we, we lost two companies uh, and another one, a third one, I was able to bring a 55-year-old guy, you know, mega experience. He, he turned it around and we were able to sell it. But, uh, cool. but uh, yeah, so from now on, the business side of the startup needs to have a, a person over 30. That's my, uh, my learnings. Good learning. <laughs> I don't know. I hope. You are also a supporter of the, the current president, President Trump. Yes. Why do you support him? Because here in the Valley, I have the feeling that uh, you are more... Uh, the minority. In the minority. Maybe yeah. Peter Thiel. <laughs> yeah, you see, the, 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 the ones that support him are quiet. The, the other side, it's complaining day and night, right? The poor, the poor guy cannot do anything and the media will bash him. So the media is completely left or, or Democrat. Uh, California is Democrat, as you know, 100% almost. And, you know, there's two reasons. What, either you're so rich, like a lot of people in California, from LA, they're actors, here they're successful exits and they have 100 million billions. And then, you know, you, you want to help the poor and you want to give money for free to everybody. So those guys, yeah, fine. And then, uh, and then the, the, the other ones are Republicans are very quiet. You never hear about them and so on. Now, Trump, is an, he doesn't know how to speak. The guy is zero communication. I mean, he screws up every word he says. That's the unfortunate part. But I like his policies. I really like what he did. The economy is an all-time high, unemployment all-time low, minorities have more jobs than they ever had before, stock market is up, which gives angels enough cash to invest in startups, which I need. Sure. IPOs are going to flourish. M&A is doing great. So for my business, it's fantastic, right? Uh, taxes, he lowered taxes, not to individuals as much. Uh, so it's not that he went and the rich are going to benefit this time. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm going to pay the same or, or less, or, sorry, or more uh, with, the, with the cuts he did. Uh, so for my business, I'm happy about it. Um, foreign, I mean, I'm not American, I cannot vote. So at the end of the day, it's not my place to, to talk, but... You, the world has to agree that the U.S. takes advantage of uh, the, Euro, the world takes advantage of the U.S., right? 
So if you want to sell an, a U.S. car in Germany, I don't know if you knew, knew this, but they have 25% tariffs. But the U.S. takes German cars at 5%. So all Trump is saying is, look, those days are over. We want to be equal. You want to do zero, zero tariffs everywhere in the world? Fine. Let's compete. Right? So that's one thing he said. Uh, then, as you know, the U.S. supports every organization. They pay more than any, everybody else. U.N., Red Cross, anything. So he says, I want other people to pay their, their share, the fair share. So you know, I don't see why, you know, other than he cannot talk. He's, he's not, I don't think he's that bad. And he canceled this Obamacare, which was horrible. It's a good idea, but the way it was implemented, making it mandatory was horrible. I mean, it's thank God that that thing is gone. And so that's another good thing. Yeah, I'm happy. Cool, it's, it's good for business. It's good for business, for sure, yes, yes. And personally, it's not affecting me. Sure. Uh, you know, this crime, there's not much crime here, so it's okay, uh, no difference. But the infrastructure was horrible yeah. before he came. I mean, horrible. I mean, airports, the streets, as you see it. Big. Yeah. I mean. You would not expect that from Silicon Valley. No, well, no, exactly. So if the Democrats are so damn good, why do they let the infrastructure go to hell? I mean, they keep sucking money from taxes, and I don't know where it goes. Not, to, not on the infrastructure, that's for sure. So anyway, so that's kind of uh, things. Don't believe what you read in the media. <laughs> In order to conclude this episode, I would like to ask you about your favorite tools and gadgets. Are there any that come to your mind when you hear tools and gadgets? What do you use on a regular basis? Uh, I use a lot of apps, like uh, Waze. Um, gadgets, uh, we have, um, we just installed an Alexa at home, which doesn't work too well, I think. <laughs> But it's, it was, was cool for the one day we used it, right? And sure. now it's shut up again. I don't know why. Uh, then for our dog, we have this dog camera where you can throw things when you leave the house. So I can talk to him from my phone and call him. And he comes to the machine. And I say, hey, what's up? You know, and then I can press a button and some treats oh, go out. Okay. So, so it's sort of remote dog control. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, but other than that, I don't know, my cell phone is the only gadget I use for now. Yeah. And are there any additional resources like books, podcasts, blogs that you yourself consume on a regular basis or yeah. you can recommend? I have these newsletters I get every day. Okay, like right? what? Uh, the Fortune, the, the term sheet is called one. Okay. Um, there's another one. One is from Forbes. Uh, but I get two where it tells you every major deal or cool deal mm -hmm. in private equity and venture. Uh, it tells you also companies that may have uh, died or shut down and, and, and new funds. Okay. So I get two of those every day, TechCrunch, I look, and VentureBeat, and then I get a European tech.eu, mm -hmm. and I get one from uh, Deutsche Börse as well, once a week. Cool. Yeah, so that kind of stuff. Awesome. But the best, the best you get from the valley, you know, talking to people. Absolutely. 
Alex, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was yeah. a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the content, please make sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Next week, we will already be back with a new episode with Alex Fries. We will talk about the topic, jobs as a startup CEO. So what are the actual jobs of a startup CEO? We will cover that in the episode. We will also talk about how you can make as much noise as possible. And what that actually means, you will learn in the next week's episode. And last but not least, we will also talk about the transition of the startup CEO's job from early to later stage. So make sure to tune in to next week's episode, especially if you're a founder or know a founder, because this is content that they should not miss. See you next week.